to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 25. And the last time the message was titled, The Savior Has Come. And I taught Luke about 12 years ago, the Gospel of Luke. And I'm just seeing so much more. That's why they call the Bible the living word. It's just so powerful. Every time you dig into it, you can you know, get another application for your life, for deeper understanding. And Luke is amazing. He's a physician at the time. And he cares about people. He's also very detail-oriented, and you see him go through these uh, historical accounts about the time that the, you know, the Bible was written, about the time of Christ. He tells you who the emperor was, the governor. Um, he gives so much detail. As a matter of fact, last Sunday when I taught, uh, I looked at what, we call, what I call five points of apologetics. So we went through the Caesars, we went through Roman history, we, we have these things in our history books, right? So Luke is, is extremely accurate, he's extremely detailed, and today the message is titled, The Early Days, The Early Days. And this is, you know, everybody hears the stories, they see the, you know, the plays and stuff about what Jesus did and the miracles, but what about the foundation? What about what came first? So the early days kind of gives us a picture of Jesus, right, as the, the ver- like Mary gives birth to Jesus, and he's, he's a toddler, and then he's 12 years old. And we see these um, pictures of him in the early days. But what we all also see are pictures of regular people like you and I. And that's what I love about it. You know, Dr. Luke is, he's very concerned about people. You know, he tells us things. Actually, we see things in his gospels that we don't see in the other three gospels, right? Some incredible detail. And, you know, God is a big God. And sometimes we could get lost in the fact that there's almost 8 billion people on the planet. And we look at ourselves as insignificant, but we're not. And what we learn through this is that God can keep tabs on things that are going on in the world and the future and, you know, bringing, ushering in his new kingdom, but also be concerned about us as individuals. So I love that about what I'm going to read, and we're going to see this in four parts. So jumping in, in verse 25 of Luke 2, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that's interesting, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, which we went through uh, the last time, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord So this is his prayer, Simeon, to the Lord. Now you are letting your servant, speaking of himself, depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of them. 
Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So one out of four is Simeon's prophecy. And maybe if you're not terribly familiar with the Bible, we're going to talk about Simeon, we're going to talk about Anna, and some people might say, wow, I mean, I've read the Bible, I've gone to church, I've never heard of Simeon and Anna. So you're going to be really in for a treat today. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Remember, this is a transitional time. You know, Jesus comes in to usher in the new covenant. The old, in the old covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, in the Old Testament, The old covenant covenant said that a new covenant or a new testament was coming. So this consolation of Israel, as a matter of fact, Daniel chapter 9, do you know why somebody can't show up today and say, hey, I'm the Messiah in 2022? Because there were what I would call time-sensitive prophecies. There were prophecies written long ago that literally told you the time, the political situation, even the day that the Messiah would come. And that time has come and gone some 2,000 years ago, approximately. So it's very exciting to Simeon. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon that he won't see death. He's an older man. He won't see death until he sees the Lord's Christ. And he sees Jesus as a child. Verse 29, he says, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. It was a big deal in the first century because every observant Jew knew the scripture. And they knew those time-sensitive prophecies. You ever wonder why? And it almost seems like a fairy tale. This is so uh, perfect. It's got to be contrived. You know why that Jesus passed a lot of these Jewish men and they dropped everything and they went to follow him? Because they knew the time-sensitive prophecies. They knew any moment he's coming. And then he starts doing miracles and raising people from there. Like, this has got to be him. So they put all the pieces together. So this is the, when we look at, and we're actually going to partake of communion today, right? So the observant Jews of the first century knew that the Messiah was coming, his first coming. We also know when Jesus was on the earth, including in the ceremony of communion, he said to his disciples that he would return. He would return. So I got to be honest with you, for me, I don't think I'm, I'm kind of like middle of the road as far as my age here. I'm not really young, but I'm not really old. I would like to see... The second coming, I'd love to see the Lord return, right? And not taste death. Um, That would be a wonderful thing. First Thessalonians 4, Jesus said that he would return. The Apostle Paul tells us that the Lord would appear in the clouds of the air, right? So you can see an application even to Christians today, right? What are we looking forward to in life? Is it just things purely in the world or the things of the Lord? Simeon loved God so much that he wanted to see the Messiah before he died. Now, there's a term, and whatever, um, we have these cultural terms that we make up, and then people run with them and make movies about them, and I didn't see the movie. But there's a term, I don't know if you've heard of it, called the the bucket list, right? Somebody's getting up there in years, and they say, this is a list of five or ten things I want to do before I pass. And some people, if they have the means or the money, they can actually achieve many of those things. Um, for me personally, I want to see the Lord's return, right? Uh, some people, their bucket list is just that they want to see Paris or they want to see Greece. I want to see the Lord return. And that's kind of a, a change in attitude when you become a, le- a believer. You're so 
you know, you live your life, you have your family, you have, you know, your work, your career, you have a lot of things going on in this world, but you also always have the Lord at the forefront of your mind because he's important to you. So for me, I probably will see Paris and Greece in the millennial kingdom. Uh, so I'd rather see just right now, whenever the Lord comes, I want to see it just like Simeon. He got to see Jesus. But now this is an interesting fact because Simeon's filling with God's Holy Spirit caused him to rejoice to see Jesus, even as a child, knowing he was the Messiah on faith. So when Jesus as a child is presented, right, he's little, he's fully God. And somehow he's married to fully man. He's fully human and fully God. That's what we understand. Um, All the details, you know, Bible scholars debate for a long time, but we, we have the basic understanding who he is. So no doubt when Simeon probably picked him up and and was praying and thanking God that he looked like a a child. He didn't look very different than any other child. When he walked the earth, he looked like a man, right? But you could tell that there was something inside of him. You could see in the transfiguration where at one point the disciples see him, you know, and we're going to get to that. It's like his deity shines through his flesh. This is pretty wild stuff if you think about it. But Simeon, without seeing the miracles, without seeing the dead being raised, he believes God on faith. And faith is so important. Listen, I'm a prove it to me guy. You know, to me, I love to debate atheists in a friendly way and try to show them even through science that God exists. I love doing that stuff. However, there's also an element of my life, a big part of my life of faith. I've never tangibly touched God, but I know one day I will, right? There's enough evidence in the scripture that tells me that God exists, right? So we we go on faith, uh, but we also believe and we know that these things are true. They can be reasoned out. Now, sadly, the spiritual leaders of the time were not filled, right, with the Holy Spirit as Simeon was, and they rejected Jesus because Jesus didn't come the way they wanted. They wanted Jesus to come and eradicate Rome. And because Jesus said basically the physical redemption would come later, um, they had an issue with that and they ended up rejecting him. Verse 32, he says that he will be a light to the Gentiles. Now, this is all throughout the Old Testament. I've read the entire Old Testament and New Testament. And the Bible tells us that the, especially in the Old Testament, that the Jews were supposed to reach out to those that were non-Jewish, to show them monotheism, right? The one true God. So a light to the Gentiles was very uh, important to the nation of Israel, but also to the, the Jewish Messiah, right? Christians today miss something if they don't love the Jewish people. But Jewish people today also miss something if they don't love the Gentiles, right? God has called us to come together. We may come from worlds apart, But just like the church, under the roof of the church, a lot of diverse people come together and they fellowship and they become a spiritual family. So it's important. Verse 33, Mary and Joseph marveled. They believed in God. They believed in what he was going to do. They believed in his promises. But how it played out was unknown and unfathomable to them. But they went forward in faith. And I got to say that, you know, as, as people of faith, even today... Um, you know, we, we have to trust God. You know, we know what it says in his word. We know he's not going to leave us or forsake us. We know that if every human person uh, forsakes us, God will still be with us. Those are great things. Uh, but there's going to be times where God shows us things and maybe we don't have all the details. 
So in other words, it's like from getting from A to Z. And even, and I'll just be honest with you personally as your pastor, there's sometimes I pray and I'm like, Lord, I don't understand. You know, uh, it's okay, right? The best people in the scripture that God used didn't have the complete picture. You know, I know that you are real. I know that these are your promises. I know the future that you have for us. But where I am right now between A and Z, I don't understand. And I'll just tell you as your pastor, there's times I'm driving in my car because I'm not distracted. I do a lot of driving. And I pray a lot while I'm in the car. I don't even ever turn on the radio, uh, hardly ever. But uh, I'll pray, Lord, I, I get this, I get that, I get this, but I don't fully understand. And that's okay. That's okay. That's the walk that we take as a believer. The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 13, that we're going to see him. That these things will become a reality, right? Faith, hope won't be needed anymore when we're in his presence. Because faith, he'll be tangible at that point where when we come to be in his uh, realm. Hope, hope is realized when we're in the Lord's presence. However, love will always stand the test of time. Love will always be there because that is who God is. God is love. So pretty neat stuff to look at. And, you know, lately uh, I, I've been seeing this in the women's ministry, the men's ministry, uh, the, the last Wednesday night teaching. Uh, just I love about this church is that people are just real. They don't come up here and pretend that they're higher than anybody else. We're just like you. I have a different gift than you. That's why I'm up here. But you have, right? And you, some of you have gifts that, listen, musically, I'm, I can't play an instrument. I can't sing to save my life, but, um, but I can do this. You know what I'm saying? So God uses us all in the kingdom. Everybody here has a gift that you can be used by God, which is wonderful. Verses 34 through 35, he talks about, you got to picture Mary, right? She gets this, this visitation from the angel. She, gives birth. It's miraculous. Um, the Lord works it all out. Um, and she's still, it's sort of still of a learning curve with her trying to understand who this child is that she brought into the world. And he says that many would rise and fall because of Jesus. I say this, that Jesus is the spiritual fork in the road. You know, sometimes life is very comfortable when we're dry. I do this sometimes when I, I go to, I know I should use, well, I don't use my phone. I'm not much of an app person, but or go on MapQuest and get the directions. And it says, go straight for 20 miles. And then after 15 miles, there's a fork in the road. Wait a minute, this wasn't in the, in the directions, right? People just say, just break down and you get, get the, I don't even know what app it is, but I'm probably not going to do it even if you tell me. The, the scariest thing sometimes is running into that fork in the road. I'm like, wait a minute, this was not in the, in the thing, in the plan. I could either go this way or I could go that way. But this way or that way, each has a different... Uh, consequence. You know, Jesus is that fork in the road. We're going through life and we have our career and we have our family and we have, you know, all the things, our friends and stuff. And then all of a sudden you hear a message like this and you say, well, you have to make a choice in life. Jesus calls us to make a choice. He's that fork in the road. Remember, Jesus said that, that the, the narrow road that he is, he's that way, he's that narrow road. He goes, few find that road. But the wide road that leads to destruction, much of the world is on. You know, 20-something, almost 30 years ago, I had to make a choice. Because I can't turn around because there's a fork in the road. I can't keep going straight anymore. I'll be off the road. i got to take one path or the other. So through Jesus, right, 
you make a decision. Do you want to be in God's kingdom or do you not? And it's, it's just as simple as, as trusting him as your Lord and Savior. It's not a difficult thing to do. You really don't have to have any qualifications except your, 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 your intellect, your will, and your emotions all have to come together as the heart to choose Christ as your Savior. So Mary's listening to this, and she's, she's taking it in as Joseph is. And then he says, Simeon says this, and I think this was geared more towards Mary than Joseph. He said that a sword will pierce through your own soul. Now, what mother wants to hear that about her child, right? She had no idea that people would hate her son just for feeding them and raising the dead and teaching them the things about the kingdom of heaven. Um, And Mary did experience that piercing. uh, And we're going to talk about that. Sometimes following God will is not an easy road. It's fulfilling. I'm sure where Mary is, I'm not sure. I know where Mary is now that she's rejoicing and it all makes sense to her. But at the time, she is just like you and me. She had, as a human being, she had difficulty putting all the pieces together, right? Verse 36, we're going to come back to that. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, which is a female prophet, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was, she's now a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So two out of four is Anna's testimony. This woman, what do we know about her? brief background. She married young. She lived a long life. And when her husband died, she devoted the rest of her single life to serving God. Makes sense. Now, when we look at Simeon and Anna, these are two people that the aristocrats wouldn't give a second look at, but God honors their faithfulness. And they're mentioned in the Holy scriptures. Pretty amazing. So I say to you is there's no such thing as insignificance in the kingdom of heaven when serving the Lord. You know, if you're suffering this morning with a feeling of insignificance, well, you came to the right place because it's written all over this sermon. You are not insignificant. Amen. You know, maybe the, your, your, your mind or your past or things, bad experiences are trying to make you believe that. But according to God's economy, those things are not true. These are two old folks. Again, they had no power. The aristocrats didn't care. The Roman government didn't care. But God cared. But God cared. And this shows that God, and I like to use this word, he's a good multitasker. He can save the world and reach the world and at the same time minister to individuals. You know, what I like to do here is also try to steer people away from big, flashy, Hollywood-type Christianity. Because what does it do? It turns the church into a spectator sport instead of getting involved. Right. It's a it's such a, a thrill. I remember when my wife and I were new in the Lord and we started serving at a, a food and clothing ministry and just the feeling of, wow, delivering groceries to somebody or delivering clothing and seeing people's eyes fill up with tears like you're a stranger. Why do you care about me? It's just an element that when you serve the Lord in, in some way, we, we didn't do it every day. Right. But when it was our time to do it, it was just such a blessing. And and the people we were serving might think, no, 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 it's a blessing to us. Wow, I got all these bags of groceries and I don't have to pay for it. But no, 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 it it was a blessing to us too, just as much if not greater, to see a person 
just be blessed by just us stepping up and getting involved. What an amazing thing that is. So it's very exciting. What do we see about Anna? She departs and she spreads the word of the Messiah, verse 38. She was personally ministered to by God, right? But as a prophetess or a minister to others, she had a responsibility to spread the word. And that's so true. There's this also, there's so many principles in the scripture. One is let God fill you. And then from that overflow, almost like a, a, a cup or a, a pot, the overflow, right? God fills you. He ministers to you. And with that overflow, you spill onto other and minister, others and minister to them. So that's really a neat thing to see. Um, it isn't just about us receiving. We also have to give. It's, it's kind of this constant equation that goes back and forth. Right before you find some equilibrium, it's pretty neat. Think about this, and I'm just that type of person where I like to. And let me just say this: this is my speculation. Everything the Bible says, you take as word, you take as truth. Sometimes I just try to, in in trying to pull out more from the Scripture, I say, "Well, is it possible this could have happened?" So Jesus is a child; he's little. We don't know what age he is. Peter and John and James and Matthew, and they're all little too, little Jewish boys, most of them, um, in the community. And here, Anna goes out as a prophetess. She's filled. She's excited. And she goes out and tells everybody about, about the Lord, right? About this child Messiah who's here. Is it possible that she's so excited and so on fire that she just goes from village to village and the village where... The disciples are little boys. It gets through their families and it starts to, as, as they start to grow, they keep hearing about this. And then when Jesus comes, not only did they learn the scripture that Jesus was coming, but they also were encouraged by Anna's message. Isn't that neat? This one elderly woman that if you look up Roman history, and I've studied a lot of Roman history, nobody talks about Anna. Nobody talks about Simeon because they were, in the world's eyes, insignificant. Here God does an amazing work. And not only did she formerly devote her life to serving the Lord, but now it's even more because she's gotten to see the Messiah as a child. Pretty neat stuff, isn't it? You can, listen, God gives us what we need to know, but it's fun to try to connect the dots, right? Some of these plausible theories. Verse 39. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child, Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So three out of four is Jesus returns to Nazareth, right? He grows physically. Uh, his, he's, again, fully human, fully God, fully human. What does that look like? Well, we're kind of getting a glimpse of it. Here I see from what Luke says that his human body is catching up with his deity, his human body is catching up with his deity. And again, Bible scholars have been debating the deity of Christ. I mean, affirming it. But well, how does that work? Well, how do you fit God into a human body? And, and then we get caught up in this, like, God's really big and it's a size thing. Actually, and I studied math and science, it, sort of God is in a different dimension. God is here. The Bible says that when two or more are gathered in his name, the Holy Spirit is, we're sealed with a part of God when we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. How does that happen? I have no idea. 
And I don't like to say that phrase, but I'm saying it. So God says, basically, I'm giving you what you need to know. When you come up here, <laughs> you'll see it more. Your eyes will be opened. But, you know, I've studied so physics and dimensions, wormholes, string theory, fourth spatial dimensions. And you get into a realm of physics based on Einstein's laws or his, I would say, they're God's laws. They're Einstein's discoveries that, you know, you can something that could be a hundred light years away and there are two separate points. There's these kind of almost tunnels that can connect and nobody's really figured out how to do it. But based on some of these theories, uh, you see it's a plausibility. So it's kind of funny. I think about God and how he's just, he's here, but he's also in China and he's also uh, in Pluto. Didn't Pluto get demoted a few years ago? You're laughing. We had nine planets and somebody decided it wasn't a planet. So Pluto got demoted. But, but God can be there in Pluto. He could be the ends, at the ends of the universe. And he can be in your bedroom when you're praying at night, which is pretty awesome. So God has that ability. Uh, people do this. They, they get caught up in, you know, fully God, fully man, the deity of Christ. And it's a mind twister because we're still in this realm. We're not going to completely understand it. But God will reveal these things later on. So, again, he had a human body. He had to come in a human body to undo the sin curse that Adam brought on his line, which we're a part of, right? Uh, so, yeah, so we'll move on from that one. <laughs> you can send me your theories and question, and maybe we can talk about it on the Q&A. Verse 41, last few verses, it says, His parents... So his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, so now he's, Luke gives us a picture from you know, the birth to childhood, from toddler to childhood to 12 years old. They went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company. They went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard, remember, he's 12 years old, 12 years old. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answer. So he's mixing it up with the theologians of the day. They could have been in their 50s, 60s, 70s, studied scripture all their life, studied the rabbinical teachings. And here Jesus is at 12 years old and they're astonished. They're like, can you picture them going, can you believe what's coming out of his mouth? How would he know something like that at 12 years old? <laughs> well, we know. So when they saw him, they were amazed. Now, so they catch up to Jesus, right? He's not in the caravan. They come back. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Capital F. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. <laughs> Even the parents are tripped up. Um, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So four out of four is the father's business. And when I say the father's business, I don't mean the furniture business or the used car business. I mean the father's 
business. Okay. Uh, Mary and Joseph and others come to the feast. Now, this is a common thing that we would see. So families, it's from, you know, the Nazareth area to Jerusalem. It's quite a hike. Now, if you study Middle Eastern history and you study the pilgrimages that people made, this makes perfect sense. What would happen was they would have these, you know, caravans. They have their animals and their supplies and they go to Jerusalem. They do their religious rites. Then they're on the way back. Now, normally what would happen is the women and the children would be up front and they would go first and the men would be behind them. So if there was a problem, there would be nobody lingering behind. So you'd had a, you had friends, relatives uh, for protection, etc. So there could have been a large amount of people. So at 12 years old, Jesus is in that cusp age as a human. He could be with the women and children, but at his age, he could be with the men. So to say, right, if you say, what irresponsible parents? No, no, this is very plausible and understandable. And probably what happened was the men would eventually catch up to the women. You know, because they had the children, they would, they would move a little slower. So they'd let the women and children go first. They would eventually catch up to the women and everyone's looking around and say, where's Jesus? I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. So somebody's in trouble when they get home um, because they didn't do a proper head count or they made an assumption. Jesus is missing. Now, did you ever lose your kid for a short amount of time in public? A few minutes 10 seconds seems like an eternity. That feeling of dread. Mary and Joseph are upset. And I think sometimes they forget that he is fully God. And they said something. Did he, Jesus didn't sin. Did he do anything wrong? No, he did nothing wrong. He was in the temple the whole time. It was somebody else's issue for not scooping him up and saying, hey, you're with this caravan or that caravan. We're, we're ready to go. Did Mary think that the sword Simeon spoke about was that, hear hear me out for a second, we can't find Jesus. Oh, maybe that's what Simeon meant when he said the sword would pierce my heart. We're never going to find him again. Then they find him again. Did she think then, well, maybe the sword that he spoke about was the fact that I have to share my son with the whole world. Could that be it? I'll tell you this, that the ultimate piercing of her heart was when she was there at the cross and saw Jesus being crucified. To her, that made no sense at all. And she gave birth to him as, you know, as, a, as a person, as, a, as a, a baby, right? And sometimes we say to the Lord, I don't understand. And it goes back to my original point, right? And Mary had a, a big, beautiful ministry But it was also partially burdensome. It was a mixed bag. It was a mixed bag. And I tell you that Christians in other countries today that serve overseas, they love the fact in Iran. And I I love talking to missionaries. We support a lot of missionaries around the world in a lot of countries, especially persecuted countries. And when they come back and go, "I, I minister to a whole family that never even heard of Jesus. But the father dreamt about him the night before I showed up. These things are actually happening. But the, but the other part comes, the sword, the sword comes when the secret police find out that they converted somebody to Christianity when the law said they're not supposed to. So, you know, make no mistake, in America we have a lot of freedoms, but there's a whole world outside of these shores of Christians that are struggling, that are serving the Lord, that miracles are happening, but they're also suffering. 
at the hands of the government and other, you know, uh, even some of these terrorist type of groups. Jesus probably spends the better part of three days in constant conversation with these spiritual leaders about God and his word. I'll read it again. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. These guys weren't dumb guys. They knew the development of a child, of a teenager. There's no way this kid knows this stuff. How could it be? And maybe they thought, well, he memorized it. But then they they engage him and he has an answer for everything they say. So what we find is that Jesus is the Lagos. The Bible tells us he is the word. Jesus came, God the Son came down from heaven to be the mouthpiece of God to human being. That's why everything that's written in this book is so important. That's why I'm taking my time with it. So Jesus is confronted and he refers to his father's business. But he's not speaking about Joseph who adopted him. Right? Because Mary had him, God put everything together. Don't ask me how he did it. He put it all together and boom, she was pregnant and she gave birth to Jesus. But Joseph was there illegally to, you know, as the husband and to sort of be an adoptive parent, if you, if you will. And this has never happened before. So it's confusing to me a little bit. It probably was confusing even more to them. Uh, but what we find is that it's so important that we put God first. And Jesus was showing this, right? Now, there can be times, sadly, in Christianity where one person gets sta- saved and it's a struggle because maybe their kids aren't saved, that their spouse isn't saved, that their friends aren't saved. They know Jesus and it's, it's a hard thing, but they need to be about their father's business. They should love their family. They should love others, love to the point where they, they would want to be believers like this person. But sometimes a spouse, a child, um, you know, a culture, right? My neighborhood, how I grew up can hinder us from being about our father's business. Nothing should stand in the way of us being about our father's business. And this is how we know that Jesus didn't sin. First of all, he, he didn't sin. We know that theologically, but mom and dad's understanding of what took place was skewed. So it almost seemed like they were disciplining their 12 year old, but they were wrong. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting thing to look at when we look at our relationship to God, that we have to prioritize God first in our lives. And I got to tell you that I love to, when, and I see this oftentimes in the church, a person gets saved, they're a new believer, and they're like, well, what do I do? Like, they're just so, it's, it's, that's why it's like, it says being born again of the spirit. Like they almost become childlike. And I was like that as well all over again. And you say, oh, you know, start reading the gospels. You know, this is how you pray. And they get so excited. And one person that I'm speaking to now, and he's just got a ton of Bible questions, right? And he's so excited about his newfound faith. You just get excited about it. And I have to tell you that uh, when I got saved, I had a, a strange affliction. It was very strange. And I, I don't want to go through it. I think I know how it came. And then it kind of moved out and I, I, I was kind of almost confined to my house. I had a lot of dizziness. I, there was a lot of weird things. I went to all these doctors, holistic, and like nobody could help me. And I just had to deal with it. It just had to run its course. But in that time that I was sort of not wanting to be bound to being in my house, 
I mean, I could go out, but I would have these sort of episodes. Um, I spent that whole time just reading the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, taking notes, calling up my pastor. He was so patient with me, <laughs> calling up my friends at 11 o'clock at night. Joe, go to bed. I'll talk to you about this tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I just was like, wow, I was in a religion and they didn't teach me this stuff. And I, it, to me, I just wanted to play catch up. So that, that's the excitement about God. Like just, and I don't mean excitement about religion or denomination. I'm not saying that. Because some people are turned off. They think they're turned off by God, but they're actually turned off by false representatives, mean people in the church, you know, and the church encompasses, you know, churches all around the world. People who got burned at church or burned by a clergy member. That's not God. And that person will have to stand before God for what they did that stumbled a a little one that was seeking God and that false representation pushed them away from God. But you know what I always find? That people still eventually find the route back to God around that person. Let them stay in their stinkiness. But you find God and you find that joy in God. And that's exciting, that excitement. Okay, verse 50. They didn't understand his statements. And verse 51, Mary kept all these things in her heart. Mary needed to learn that her son was born for a reason, not primarily to be her son. And that, that probably was a hard thing for her to go through. Imagine that. You've got to sh- share your son with the whole world and he's going to die for all their sins. No, but I just want him to be my son. Yeah, but God has a bigger plan in all this. Um, and, and sometimes we struggle with God's will. And I have to tell you that, and I'm going to just say this before I, I close, is the study in Mary has been f- wonderful. If you are new to the church, get the messages off the website. We've been covering just the person of Mary uh, for the last few months. And she's just a remarkable person. Just her pensiveness, her thoughtfulness. It's so cool how in God's word you, you see a, th- a window into her thought processes. Right? The wedding at Cana that I'm going to get to. She's like, they, they've run out of wine, Jesus. He's like, my time hasn't come yet. And then Mary goes to the servants and says, whatever he says, just do it. You know what I'm saying? I love that. And he does this great miracle. And, you know, the guests are pleased and they're amazed. And they're like, where did this stuff come from? So um, just looking at Mary, knowing that God has given her something to do, but not having all the pieces, it's just so refreshing. Because you can see Mary in, in all of us, just the way she worked through these things. So, you know, today people, they almost put Mary up to godhood status, and that's not fair to Mary. She, just, she was just like us. She was a human being with her flaws, uh, but she did honor God and she had faith. She was a great person. So Dr. Luke in these early chapters, is, chapters excuse me, focuses on ordinary people. We're going to see later how he contrasts the ordinary people like Simeon and Anna with powerful people like the Herods and the Caesars and such. Uh, Simeon and Anna, and I say were nobodies in that culture. I don't think that they're nobodies. From a cultural standpoint, they were nobodies, but they were objective regarding God's will. They were objective, right? The religious leaders, the corrupt religious system, they were somebodies. They were very closely connected to the Roman government. They had power. They had wealth. And um, they really, they were aristocratic in the way they looked down on the little people. But they were subjective when it came to God's word which is not good. Simeon and Anna were exegetic when it came to God's word, and they didn't even realize that, which means that they, they looked at the scripture, they looked at 
what God shared with them, and they were open-minded to what God wanted to do. They pulled the proper application, which we should be doing on Sunday mornings, right, for our own selves. So they were exegetic about God's word, but the religious leaders were eisegetic. What does that mean? Eisegetic means that they read into the scripture. So religious leaders said, well, our Messiah has to come this way, A, B, and C. Imagine telling God what to do. God, I want you to answer this prayer, and this is how I want you to answer it. I don't do that. I'm like, Lord, I'm struggling with something. I need your help. I call, I just, whatever you think is right. That, those are my prayers. But these religious leaders had an attitude of, if you don't come and topple Rome, you're not the Messiah. And that sort of spread, sadly. So they were eisegetic. Simeon and Anna, I would say, got it, while the religious system missed it. And the aristocracy missed it. Do we see a parallel today in our world? What is with these world leaders? The more they push Christ out of their, uh, their culture and their thinking and their demeanor and their morality, uh, the world is just getting worse. N- nobody can control all the globalists. Yet, right? We're all connected, all these countries. They can't control poverty. They can't control inflation. They can't control anything because they're pushing the prince of peace out of society, and that's what's going to happen. In Matthew eleven twenty five, where God the Son, Jesus, speaks to God the Father, he was rejoicing. Because what he would see was that a lot of the aristocracy would scratch their heads, figuratively, and the common people, the poor people, the uneducated, couldn't read, couldn't write. They got the, the, par- the parables. They got the teachings of Jesus. I could just almost, I wasn't there, I could just picture Jesus smirking as he's talking to God the Father and says, you know, you've hit it from the wise and the prudent, but all these uneducated people, they're getting it. I love that. I love that. And I would say that to you, if you're considering walking with Jesus Christ and you say, well, I'm going to get flack from my coworkers. I'm going to get flack from my family. Uh, You know, I have some highly educated people in my family that are going to ridicule me. If they don't get it, that's their problem. It's going to be their loss. You get it. You get it. So where are you this morning? And I don't mean geographically. I can see you sitting in the seats. I mean, where are you in your heart? Where are you in your spirit? Are you like Simeon and Anna who got it? Or are you like the world who didn't get it? They missed it. Do you get it? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.